And now, let's kick things off with the Jack Riccardi Show. Oh, I see what you did there. (laughs) I see what you did there. (laughs) Well, uh, like like the uh, Dallas Cowboys, people often miss my point. So, um, all right. What do you what do what do you think? I mean, the it's it's a team sport. You know, you gotta you gotta put your arm around your teammate and mm-hmm. say it's okay. You can't be sputtering and fuming and shaking your head on the sidelines. That's not that's not team play. You won't win if you if you if you're like that. That's right. That's right. And for crying out loud, it's not like they needed the four points. They could have they they could have kicked an extra point for Tom Brady every time he scored a touchdown, and they still would have won. <laughs> Um, just but I was, <laughs> I was, in, I was amazed to read because I didn't realize how exceptional this was. Not since 1932. That's right. Has a kicker missed four points, uh, four extra points in, in, in a game? Yeah. So that's incredible. And I don't know what the conditions were in that game, but I just wonder if. Oh come on! It was Tampa. You know, it was probably it was probably uh, fine. I mean, the I other just, guy wasn't having any trouble. I've well, the never, other guy did miss one, right? What's that? I think the other guy missed one, right? Uh, what, last night? Maybe I'm thinking of a different game. Yeah. Well, they had 14 points. Oh, you know yeah, what? So yes, he did. Yes, he did, because they went for two. They went okay. for two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I, I don't think it was the conditions, though. I think what happened was when he missed the first one, that got into it. Well, and he, he had missed one at, at the end of the previous game, at the Washington game. And I think it was just, you know, that was a head trip kind of thing where, you, you know, you could, it could happen in any job, right, where you... Now you're inside your head too much. Yeah, that can happen. And I just think that if this was, cause there's a lot of talk. I, you know, I heard the, the guys on, um, San Antonio Sports Star, uh, divided over, do you cut Brett Maher or do you ride it out? And if he had missed, say, for example, three or four, maybe five extra points over the last two or three weeks, Mm -hmm. Then maybe you're thinking, Mm -hmm. you know, we need to do Mm -hmm. something. But I mean, this was, this was a one-off. And yeah. if next weekend the Cowboys need a 62-yard field goal to beat San Francisco, I feel better about that guy kicking than anybody. Yep. So yep. that's that's my take. Um, and the guy, you know, if, if memory serves, he was all Big Ten in his senior year. He had he has a couple of records that still stand at Nebraska. He's been all over the place. He's kind of a journeyman in the pros, but he had a very solid career uh, at Nebraska. So I, I, you know, he'll be fine. As you, like you said, it's like the rule about the, the last airline that had a crash is now the safest airline. Yeah. Yep. Uh, to fly. But we're going to, we're going to ask that on the JR poll today. And I was sorry to see, uh, although we're all happy the Cowboys won, I was sorry to see that you and, and Don did not get a perfect, uh, six and oh wildcard weekend out of it. But five and one is, is exceptional. So I made the emotional call instead of the rational one. And it will not yeah. happen mm-hmm. again. Mm hmm. Okay, duly noted. <laughs> and that's what I did the same as well. Sure Don just did. Don. Yeah. No, you know what I noticed? Don just went with whatever. Don right. just went with whatever Christian went with. That's Don right. is like that kid that copies off your paper, but then if you get it wrong, he gets it uh, wrong too. Jack, so. it could it could it could have been Detroit against Dallas, and I would have yeah, I would have asked for Detroit to win. I, I, I know I'm hated by many. I'm a no, fair it's weather okay. you Dallas and Stephen fan. Stephen A. Smith you know? are having a tough day today. You and Stephen <laughs> A. Smith are no having kidding. a yeah, yeah. They're having a brutal day. <laughs> All right, so um, I feel good about this. I I, I went three and three, so I'm not going to talk about my picks, but I do feel good about the fact that suddenly. Everyone is talking about what you and I were talking about last week regarding the Biden uh, document, uh, whatever we're going to call this, kerfluffle. Now more and more people are saying, you know, they keep finding the, the documents. They keep, 
they keep stepping on the, the, the story. Uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre looks clueless up there, which is not new. And you've got prominent Democrats saying, yeah, we need a special counsel and, uh, this was reckless. Joe, morning Joe on MSNBC is apoplectic. Um, I, we could have played several clips. They're just beside themselves. So the, the theory I had floated was that maybe the document scandal comes from within the Democratic Party to get rid of Joe Biden. Not, not in the sense of he'll be impeached or anything, just that this pushes, shoves him closer to maybe making a decision not to run, which is a decision that they uh, want, I, I believe. I, I believe that they think their best chance in 2024 is to move on from him, not to have to drag him along uh, you know, behind them. He did what he was supposed to do in 2020. So that's sort of still where my head is at, um, that they are sabotaging him to get him out of the race. And um, they would have easily covered this up if they needed him, wanted him, uh, or they would be denouncing the special counsel. I did hear another interesting theory. I forget who said this, and I would give credit if I figure it out. There was another person who said maybe this is an attempt to protect Joe Biden from the Hunter Biden investigation that we know is coming. So in other words, you create a situation where we think the documents are the Joe Biden problem, and it sort of like silos him off from everything else with Hunter Biden. That's intriguing. I'm not as convinced of that. Um, You know who really is not going to be able to get through this is Corinne Jean-Pierre. She was fine when the reporters were all throwing underhand softballs she was fine when there were no hard questions being asked about anything, but she cannot handle even one or two or three reporters being as aggressive as like Peter Ducey from Fox's. And now there are more than one, or there is more than one that are, that are hitting her pretty hard with questions. And she can't, you know, she can't flip those binder pages fast enough, uh, to get through this. So I think the first casualty of this is going to be her. Um, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee introducing a bill that is so absurd, people think it's a hoax, but it's real. H.R. 61 is the Against White Supremacy Act of 2023. Because we need a law against white supremacy. And it says that um, we need to criminalize, quote, the conspiracy to commit white supremacy. Now, I thought... I thought white supremacy you just had. I didn't know you were committing it. Is that like having meetings or circulating memos? or uh, The conspiracy to commit white supremacy against non-white people, which, of course, it would be. This includes the Bill Rights, uh, inspiring or influencing people to commit such a crime based on having published material advancing white supremacy, white supremacist ideology, antagonism based on replacement theory, or hate speech that vilifies or is otherwise directed against any non-white person or group. So <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty broad. You can't say anything critical against any non-white person or group. I this show wouldn't last 2 minutes. That's hate speech. 
So really what this is, it's not a, a, a law or pr- a proposed law about white supremacy. This is really a law building a giant wall around Sheila Jackson Lee and people who agree with her. We don't need a First Amendment. We don't need debate. We don't need what they used to call a national conversation about race because all of that is white supremacist. And, you know, we already have hate crimes. And people have said over the years the danger of hate crimes is that hate is an amorphous word. And how do I know when somebody breaks into my garage and steals my lawnmower if they did it because they hate me? But now we're talking about very specifically trying to define all the stuff Sheila Jackson Lee doesn't like as white supremacy. I'm trying to figure out how you could get through a day as a white person if this was the law of the land. And she is uh, defending it and um, doubling down on it. So it's a real thing. It's not a hoax. Um, and she believes, in fact, that it's consistent with the Constitution. I guess she means that the founders, if they had thought of this, would have included it. Um, the when we were talking yesterday about Martin Luther King Jr., I, I, I always feel a mix of emotions uh, on that day because on the one hand, it, you hear him speak you, you, or you read his words and they are inspiring, but then it's also it's also damn depressing to think about where we are now and, and the people that purport to fill his shoes. I mean, this is this is where we've come. And... um it, 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 it's, it makes a mockery of him and the things we, I don't even know if it, if it matters anymore to play those speeches or, or quote him when this is what is being carried on in his name. By the way, she invokes him in defending this bill. This is, this is in the spirit of Martin Luther King Jr. believes Sheila Jackson Lee. So I'm just letting you know. We also had the story yesterday about you can't, uh, you can't say aloha or hola anymore unless you belong to um, a race or a culture uh, that possesses that word. So what we're saying now is that words belong to um, the nationality or the ethnicity uh, in which they originate. You, you can see the problem with this, right? I mean, if you open up a dictionary to any page, an English dictionary, almost all of our words derived from some other language, Latin, Greek, many others. Who, who owns those words? And how do we talk to each other if I can only use my words and you, you can only use your words? And is there really anybody who's ever, 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 ever been offended? Like, is there, are there Hawaiian people who are offended if somebody like me says aloha? Somebody like me. <laughs> well, they probably are offended if I say it. I'm just offensive in general. But uh, you can't say, uh, you also, according to this article, you can't say words that you think apply to somebody but really do not. For example, let's say you think someone is Jewish and you say shalom, but they are not. So you can't use it if you're not Jewish, and you can't use it if they're 
not Jew. What is this really? Is this the way that we pay tribute to Martin Luther King Jr.? I, I think we got to reboot that whole idea of that holiday. If this is our understanding of his legacy, we've blown it. We don't. We don't even get it. But I also wonder about this, and I've said this before. I, I don't really think there are actual groups within these groups that are aggrieved. I think this is all imagined by people that don't have any thing to be offended about themselves, so they gin up being offended on behalf of other people. I'm not offended by anything that is said or done to me, but I'm going to get myself all worked up in defense of this group of people or this nationality or this ethnicity or this race that didn't ask me to do it, but I'm going to, I'm going to fight their fight. And it's, it's like you've, it's like you're a mercenary. It's like you're, it's like you appointed yourself a foot soldier in a war they're not fighting. Does that make any sense? And, and, and what do you think about that? There was a time when we thought that the culture needed more color and variety. And, and so when there were references made to other cultures and races, that was supposed to plus it up. Like that was better. According to these scolds that we have now, like Sheila Jackson Lee and this uh, study from the University of Utah that says you can't use culturally sensitive words apparently we need to all go back to saying the most bland neutral things um we can possibly say well that's how it used to be that's just turning back the clock everybody stays in their corner i i what what happened to multicultural what happened to we need to mix it all up and needs to look like america just pointing it out a couple of things no, no one is in charge of words there's, there's no word czar. There's no department of words. Uh, you can say anything you want. Secondly, these seem like imagined struggles. When I see somebody taking on the, oh, it's cultural appropriation or culturally insensitive when you say aloha, I- I'm thinking that's someone with no real problems of his own, and he's decided to white knight it over to somebody else and, and, and first define what their struggle is and then appoint himself or herself the 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 guardian of their galaxy it, it's it's nonsense 210 599 uh as we talk about words and we use our words and elizabeth is on the radio on ktsa elizabeth good afternoon good afternoon can you hear me yes okay yes i, I i'm just astounded that they would even come up with something like that um, I grew up speaking Spanish and English, and um, then learned French. Lived in France, married a Frenchman. So when I ha- and I have friends from Mexico, and I speak Spanish to them. I speak French to my husband, and I can tell you when I'm in France, people love the fact that an American is trying to speak their language. They love it, and my friends from Mexico or my coworkers who speak Spanish and English. They also encourage, you know, if I make a mistake, they help me out. And they love it that I'm making the effort. So it makes me wonder if the people who came up with these rules are people that don't even know another language. <laughs> mm, yeah, there you go. 
Like, uh, instead of making, you know, instead of, uh, instead of having to explain why they don't know one, oh, well, I don't use other yeah. people's languages as a, as a sign of respect. I'm, it would be disrespectful if I spoke their language. Yeah, that's a great that's a great take. I, I can remember being in a conversation many years ago when I lived in Boston with some snob who was saying, oh, it's so unbelievable that Americans aren't bilingual. Most Americans can only speak one language. In Europe, people are multilingual. And in Asia, people are multilingual. So I'm like, well, now, if people are using words and, and, and fragments of other languages... Wouldn't that be progress? Yeah, I tell you, I've never met uh, a Spanish-speaking person or a French-speaking person that is offended that I am trying to speak their language. Never. No. And you probably never will. Elizabeth, good call. Thank you. Um, Yeah, these are are, um, self-appointed mercenaries uh, in in a war that doesn't exist. And um, the, it's culturally insensitive to say aloha out of context. <laughs> has anyone told, has anyone broke the news to McGarrett on Hawaii Five-0? How are we going to tell him? Who's going to tell him? 210-599-5555. Um, these aren't real struggles. This isn't a real battle. This isn't a real civil rights movement. And, you know, yesterday when we were remembering Martin Luther King Jr., we were remembering someone who really risked his life and ultimately gave his life. He did things and he took stands that could get you killed. And he wasn't the only one that got killed. There were people that for standing up for something that they knew was right, lost their families, lost their homes, lost their livelihoods, lost opportunities. Um, and I think we're, our, we're trying to, uh, today, deny that progress has been made, and, and there are people that want to claim that mantle, but they wouldn't actually stand up to a, a, a snarling police dog they wouldn't actually stand in a place that where they could get shot. They wouldn't actually put their life on the line. They just want the trappings of it. They want the feel of it. They want to be able to say they're part of it. Like Joe Biden. He likes to talk about how he was there. He wasn't there. And stuff like this is, is a, an ersatz civil rights movement. But it's silly and people can see that it is. It's kind of a good thing in a way, I guess, because, the, I, I, you know, you've heard me say this before. Every day, more people are waking up to the insanity of political correctness and these um, sort of scolds that we have amongst us. And we're talking more about this later on, but, but these story people ask me sometimes, why do you bring it up? Because I just want people to see and hear so that maybe if they're not very political or they don't follow this stuff, they'll realize, oh my God, we cannot elect people like this. We cannot reward people with this kind of uh, uh, self-delusion. We can't reward them with, with public office. We can't give them our children to educate uh, or any position of authority. I mean, they're crazy. So do we need, uh, do we need basically uh, word police or a department of words? 
Uh, no, we don't. And what happened to the idea that it was progress or good when there was, um, you know, a, a, a mixtape of the American landscape where, you know, we had, we had references and, and strains of all different cultures running through our language and our food. And, you know, I mean, that was supposed to be a great thing, right? All of a sudden, you wake up one day and you're only allowed to use the words that someone associates with your race or your ethnicity. And whoever's making these decisions is just drawing these lines and borders. And it's, it's crazy. And they're saying they're doing it in protection of other cultures. But last time I checked, no one had asked. I, I don't know of any culture that is actually, whose members are actually concerned that their, their, their words or references like aloha are, 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 oh, it's, it's being used too much. Oh, we're, 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 you know, we're, they're diluting us. I, I, I don't know anyone who feels that way. I've never heard that. And this goes to a bigger scandal, quote unquote, where if you open a business, say a restaurant, or you're making clothing, and you are making the product of or something that is referencing a culture that you're not a part of genetically, then that's you, you're stealing from those people. And you're like, well, they can do it too. Well, but you, you, you're doing it. You're cooking their food. You're, you're, you're sewing their clothes. You're recording their music. You're stealing. No, I'm just... I like it. I'm, I'm honoring it. I'm paying tribute to it. I'm, I'm making sure more people hear it. No, no, no. Cultural appropriation. Shame on you. I'm calling right now. I'm calling Sheila Jackson Lee on you. 210-599-5555. Guy is on KTSA. Hi, Guy. Hey, how y'all doing? We're good. How are you? Can you hear me? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. I keep losing y'all in and out, but I think I got you now. Yeah, um, when I use the word, uh, say, I say, K-Paso or Ola or something like that, I think it's like a, almost a verbal tip of the hat, you know? And, um, it is kind of a, it's kind of an honorary thing, you know, towards people. But what, what is offensive is what they did up in Alaska. The indigenous people were filing, uh, paperwork for, uh, relief from some of the flooding up there. And the government gave them a bunch of nonsensical, um, sentences on an application that they were filling out uh one of the phrases that they were uh reading was your husband is a polar bear so i was reading that today and i was just like wow and then hear this discussion it's just it brings me to the fact that the government everything they accuse other people of doing that's what they're doing so that's just wow i never heard that your husband is a polar bear where what did that mean that that was that was they I guess they translated it to the indigenous people's language and, and, oh, and, and, oh, okay. and they, they didn't like, do a very good job. Somebody was slipping. <laughs> and so, so, Imagine that but, a, a government uh, yeah. a government uh, contract that wasn't uh, carried out. How about that? Never heard that before. Yeah. All right, guy. Thank you. Yeah, it does. It it it. I, I don't know. I, I don't even think it's necessarily an honor. It's just it's just a, a word. You know. Like, remember in the 50s and 60s, you had, like, the hipsters, and they were saying things differently? I don't know. Did those words belong to somebody? Did they did they steal them? Were you supposed to go to the word store and buy them and have a license? You see where all this goes, too, right? If somebody can say you're not allowed to have that word, then pretty soon we really don't have free speech. 
because maybe I shouldn't be able to use the word gun. You don't have that word. We don't, we don't, according to our records, you, you're not allowed to use that word. 210-599-5555. Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is the epicenter of wokeness. If there was a map of wokeness, if you drew the United States of wokeness, Cambridge, Massachusetts is in the dead center, is hosting a sports night called Cambridge Sports Night for Girls, but it's G-R-L-X, Girls, Girls, Girls. It's a city-sponsored event um, for anyone who identifies as a girl or with girlhood, according to the website. Cambridge Sports Night for Girls uh, will take place um, uh, tomorrow night. And uh, they're using the term Girl X so that it can include anyone who identifies as a girl. Well, if you're having an event that's not just for girls, then you're having an event for everybody. Right? How about that? And Girl X, Girl X, is that a word? That's not a word. That's a made-up word. But you know what happens? We get these made-up words, Latinx, and then they put it in the dictionary. Oh, we're so excited to announce it's been added to the dictionary. And then and then we take a, a survey of Hispanic people, and 1% of them like it or use it. And a lot of them hate it. But see, no one asked them because it didn't come from them. It isn't their cause. It isn't their problem. It isn't what they stay up at night worrying about. It's some guilty white liberal that had this idea oh you know what we should do latino latina latinx girls <laughs> they even had the gall in announcing this event to talk about how it's so important for girls to participate in sports and it it's healthy and it, it improves their confidence those are all things that are true until you f it up by letting boys join you know, don't tell me you're you're doing something for girls or for women if you are not sticking to the definition of a girl or a woman. You're disrespecting it. And I continue to marvel that women allow this to happen. You're allowing this to be done in your name. Your Your silence is taken by everybody else as you're okay with this. And I don't think most people are. 210-599-5555 or jack at ktsa.com. And Steve is next on the radio. Steve, good afternoon. Hello, Jack. Yeah, you, hey, just, you just said part of what I was going to say. Uh, you know, I mean, this world's gone crazy. I don't know about the world, but our country has. Uh, but it amazes me how people, I don't care what side of the political, it's, it's really not even political to me. It's... Uh, how people sit back and let it happen, how these people aren't not literally but figuratively slapped down as soon as they open their mouth about things like that. You know, in the first place, the Constitution says I can say anything I want, and I can even say hate speech if I want to. Now, you know, that's a judge of character. You start hearing somebody do something like that, but doesn't mean I can't do it. 
Yeah, I mean, it, ultimately, if you if you let this go, if you let this go, it won't be just words like, you know, que paso. It will be things that make it impossible for you to express your opinion or engage in a political debate. If they start taking your words away, they're basically keeping you out of a lot of categories of conversation. And I, I wouldn't put it past the people doing this, that that's really where this is going. Well, yeah, I think they're they're just trying to number one divide everybody. Number two, just create chaos in our our. That's that's world. a good way to say it. That's a good. It's a, it creates chaos. It makes people it makes people skittish. I'm not sure I should say anything. Maybe I shouldn't talk to her because she's a different race than me. I mean, it it it, it causes people to just pull back into their shells and keeping us divided is a big, big thing with these folks. I mean, they loved the, the shutdown because everybody stayed home and people didn't compare notes and talk to one another, and they, they love that. They would love nothing more than for all the groups to stay in their own in their own group. Steve, great point, creating chaos. I like that. Uh, Rudy is on KTSA. Hi, Rudy. Hi, how's it going, Jack? Hey, Rudy. Uh, I just, my take on this is... Uh, I'm, I'm actually a first generation American. So my father was from Mexico. My mom was from here. Uh, and, uh, if you looked at me, I'm a white skinned or light skinned redheaded Mexican guy. Uh, so this actually is kind of interesting because I also, uh, we have black people in my family. We also have Asian people in my family. Uh, so we can cross all these different lines and borders. Mm-hmm. And what also about, uh, for instance, uh, Elon Musk? I mean, he's African. So is there things he's allowed to say that other people aren't because mm-hmm. of the shade of their yeah. skin? Yeah, you know, yeah it's pretty I, foolish. I they lost the whole context. They lost the context of what Martin Luther King was talking about. Uh, it wasn't about separatism. He was fighting against that, but that's what this right. generation keeps moving toward. Yeah, it's like they missed out on the big the big fight, and now they they're trying to create their own version of it. But they don't they don't get what his was about, and so they're actually undoing or unraveling uh the, the the actual thing called the civil rights movement or the progress of it the other thing rudy you make a great point i was thinking about this rudy's point about having all different kinds of people in 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 the family i, I don't know the exact numbers but everything i've ever read says that intermarriage racial intermarriage ethnic intermarriage is is just you know expanding and expanding right with each generation so really eventually all these labels that the word police want to use are impossible to apply. Hardly anyone is going to be all one thing. And unless we're going to walk around with the results of our Ancestry.com, you know, chart around our neck like in a laminated sheet, you know, couldn't any one of us, no matter how we look, no matter what our appearance is, and, and even no matter what our name is, couldn't any one of us say, well, unbeknownst to you, I'm part, so I'm using the word. Yeah, so we had Latinx, now we have Girlix, or Girl X, Girl X. <laughs> I give up. Uh, apparently I've lived too long. Um, told you last week, I think it was, about a school board in Canada that had to issue, I mean, it's sad that you got to do this, good that they did it, but sad that you have to do it. They issued a dress code for teachers. Because apparently if you don't say verbatim that you cannot wear giant inflatable prosthetic breasts, somebody's going to see if they can do it. And, and, a, and a male teacher had worn um, j- just giant, like beach ball size prosthetic breasts. 
and very tight clothing stretched over them while teaching in the classroom with huge nipples protruding from the balloons and clearly whatever, I don't even know what subject he teaches, but clearly nothing was getting done. And this went viral, and uh, parents were protesting, and the school board had a special meeting. By the way, they they didn't fire the teacher, but they put out they put out a dress code. And so, a, a professor at Hillsdale College named um, Mike Smith, who, if you don't know, Hillsdale College is a small, uh, very conservative um, liberal arts school. Uh, he wrote a piece in the Washington Examiner entitled, Why Education Must Be Conservative. And I know some people's heads will explode, like, well, education should be neutral, it shouldn't be conservative or liberal. What he's saying, though, makes a lot of sense. He's saying that education is the pursuit of truth, not someone's idea of or preference of truth, not popular consensus, like polls and surveys. Truth is its own thing, independent from opinions, emotions, fads. And you you have to know the truth first before you can deem yourself an activist or a reformer. He writes, while this may sound strange and new, the belief that college was the beginning of a lifetime of pursuit of knowledge and the permanent things was historically not limited, but was a widespread notion or idea or ethos. In fact, 200 years ago, Yale issued a paper that said, quote, The point of a liberal arts education was not meant to teach students what to do for their jobs, but what a proper education was supposed to do was teach the grand truths. The grand truths. I like that. So, first you have, this seems so simple, but we have to say it. First you have to know the truth. Now, once you know the truth, In Western civilization, you are free, see, this is where it comes in, to form your own opinions about it, to call for reform, change, new words. But first, you have to know the truth. We've skipped right over that. We're doing that on purpose. We didn't skip it by accident, like two pages stuck together. We're not teaching the truth. We're teaching activism. We're teaching emotion. We're teaching that you don't have to know the truth. We want to hear, we the the college, we the university, we want to hear your truth. And this is how you get a situation where, um, remember in 2020 during the riots, college students were being let out of uh, taking tests. They didn't have to take the test. They didn't have to turn in the assignment because things are so upsetting. First, you have to know the facts. And it might be more important to know them in tumultuous times than in any other kind of time. Or maybe all times are tumultuous times. We had the uh, the great gas stove scare of 2023 the other day. Remember how fast that came and went? And remember that the, the Biden administration announced that it had never really been a thing 
um, and it was just some sort of blip. But, you know, I, I think it bears closer examination. And I'm going to play something for you that I think explains how, we, how, we, how things work, basically. Uh, because the more I think about it, if you remember the gas stove deal, and, and let me just recap for anybody that might not remember, all of a sudden one day, the, the news was full of stories, local news, national news, our news, television news, the local stations, the networks. All of a sudden there were these stories, well, everybody knows that gas stoves in the home lead to asthma, and uh, they're killing our children, and I personally did, had never heard that. I also remember when, not very long ago, every yuppie, every liberal, every, you know, beautiful, woke person I knew had one of those gorgeous wolf ranges or gas stoves in their, you know, in their kitchen. It was an aspirational thing to have. Oh, we're, we remodeled our kitchen, all gas. And every gourmet chef, every single one of them on television, on the networks, cook with gas, got to cook with gas, always cook with gas. You watch the Food Network or the Cooking Channel, you don't see anybody whipping anything up on a, on a Whirlpool electric range, right? Never. Okay. So all of a sudden, they're killing our children. So this... This is just, I could have picked numerous examples, but this is a, a Boston television station, WCVB, in the, in the, at the height of it. And I want you to listen, now that we've come through the, the, the great gas stove scare, I want you to listen to the way they're framing the story, and they get a doctor on, and, and some of the reckless stuff that he says that no one questions. So here's how it was, set up on the evening news on Channel 5 in Boston. Take a listen. New questions about the safety of gas stoves have left some parents wondering when to cook meals for their kids and how. Here with some answers is Dr. Scott Hadland, Chief of Adolescent and Young Adult Medicine at Mass General Hospital. Great to see you, Doctor. Thanks for your time. So it, it, let's face it, this is, this, is, this is a big issue because there are more than mm. 40 million households mm. in the United States with gas stoves in the kitchen. So why do some researchers now think that's a problem? Well, this has all some been sparked by a new study that came out in December uh, just a few weeks ago that showed that as many as up to one in eight cases of childhood asthma across the United States might actually be attributable to gas stoves. And, and Hold the, on, hold on, hold on. One out of eight cases of asthma might be attributable to gas stoves. That sounds not so solid, right? I even like the anchor intro. Parents are wondering tonight when or even if they should cook dinner for their children. What? What? Okay, continue, Dr. Hadland. But that as many as up to one in eight cases of childhood asthma across the United States might actually be attributable to gas stoves and, and the emissions that they put out, um, both in natural gas and when you burn the natural gas. Um, and this particular study included information on Massachusetts specifically where the number was slightly higher. Um, we found, or the study found rather, that about one in seven cases of childhood asthma in Massachusetts mm-hmm. might be attributable to gas stoves. And we've gotten a lot of attention, um, or this study has gotten a lot of attention, and we pediatricians are getting lots 
lots of questions about by, uh, why this might be. And it's really, you know, the potential harms of gas stoves have been known for decades. And this study hold is on, Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, they haven't. No, they have not. So that was one thing that was that was sort of wrapped around this. Well, we all know. We've always known. You didn't know. I didn't know. All the stores selling gas stoves didn't know. All the people promoting the use of gas stoves because it's better for your recipe, they didn't know. We've always known. It's been known for decades. See, this is what they do. He cites a study that does not actually point, you know, to cause and effect, might be attributable to one out of eight. What are the other uh, seven out of eight uh, asthma cases? What are they attributable to? And then we've known for decades. Okay, continue. And it's really, you know, the potential harms of gas stoves have been known for decades. And this study is new because what it's doing is sort of sharing, you know, what the actual burden of this may be in Massachusetts and beyond. And what's known about gas stoves is that they, um, when you burn natural gas, it emits nitrogen dioxide, which is a known irritant that can um, lead to asthma. And uh, natural gas itself contains benzene, which is a no carc- uh, known carcinogen. And I want to be really clear that just because you have these in your house doesn't mean that your child is going to get sick with asthma or oh, cancer. Okay. And most kids and families will be just fine. But I think this is a little bit of an eye-opening study. Wow. And some parents have told us they want these appliances out of the house. What's what, your advice? What, 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 wait a minute. What? What parents have told you that? Parents are calling the television station. I need to get this gas stove out of my house. What do I do? No one has, no one called them and said that. No one is saying that. Okay. They're just lying. They're just making this up. And I'm not even putting it on the individual anchor and reporter and they're just going with the, this is the program, right? This is what everybody's doing it. We get, we got to do it too because everybody's got this story. Where's our where's our gas stove story? Working on it, chief. Parents want to know how to get these stoves out of their house. Par- you know what? Parents just want to get home and cook something that the kids will eat on whatever stove they have. Continue. Well, I think most kids are going to be fine, and I don't think parents should panic. I'm a parent of two young kids, and we have a gas stove in our home, and, and I'm not panicking. Um, there are some strategies that parents can take to mitigate the risk of gas stoves. Um, so mm-hmm. some examples include getting an electric stove or an induction stove. In oh, some cases, you can even the, just get a Yeah, that would mitigate induction. the uh, harm of a gas stove if you got rid of it and put in an electric stove. See, here's the, here's the thing. This is how we got to COVID. This is how we got to the COVID idiots. This was the group think, don't question it, go along with it, join it, echo what the others are saying, don't ask questions, don't be a denier. I'm probably now a gas stove denier somewhere, right? They're writing me up. But this is the, this is the nonsense and the panic. And this doctor who is introduced as being the head of adolescent medicine at Mass General, which is the most renowned hospital in the United States, should be ashamed of himself. He admits in the interview he has a gas stove. He admits that he's not worried about it. He admits that most people don't have to be worried about it. So when they called him to do the interview, he should have said there's no interview. There's no story. But he wanted to get on TV. 
I mean, this is this is how it works. You get people like Fauci that want to be on TV and will say anything to stay on TV. You get people in the so-called field of journalism that aren't journalisming anymore. We're supposed to be skeptical and cynical, and we're supposed to scrunch up our face and look at you when you say something like, how do you know that? Where's the proof of that? Do you have any data to back that? No. Parents are telling us they want the gas stove out of their house. Like, there's was there a crowd of people outside the television station? Help us! I can't go home. There's a gas stove there. I mean, yes, it blew over because it was so over-the-top ridiculous. But imagine when things like this sort of take root, you get 14 days to slow the spread. 210-599-5555. Did you know that the Department of Justice went to court today to appeal the mask mandate on commercial jetliners? You thought that was over. You thought you were done with that, right? You, you, we haven't worn masks on planes in, in, in months. President Biden went on 60 Minutes and said the pandemic is over. But they're in the courts trying to get the mask mandate uh, or the authority to have a mask mandate for air travel and other mass transit restored. This stuff, once they get their, their mitts on it, they will not easily let go of it. The gas stove scare, to me, was just a swing and a miss. But they'll keep swinging. Uh, here's what I know, okay? Um you watch HGTV, every remodeling show, every house flipping show. New kitchen, gas appliances. Every cooking show, cooking competition, right? Iron Chef, every gas ranges. You ask any remodeler in town, the gold standard for a new kitchen, gas range. Yuppies, remember the word yuppie? Had to have gas. Had to have that stainless steel wolf or Viking, right? We've always known they're killers. No, we haven't. (laughs) It's completely made up. That is completely made up. So what all of these, all of these people I just cited have been trying to kill us and themselves? Why aren't all the great chefs of the world dropping dead? They spend all day, every day, around gas stoves and gas ranges. They should all be dead. Or or asthmatic, wheezing at home with asthma. No. No. And don't get me wrong, I, I'm completely sympathetic to people who have asthma, and I'm not belittling asthma. I am belittling groupthink. I mean, by all means, let's help people live healthy lives, and let's help people take the best care of themselves. But this was a, an exercise in groupthink, in lemming behavior, and every television station and every news network and every newspaper fell for it, ran with it, competed to make sure they had their story and their graphics and their scary headline and their anchor lead. Parents are warning, are, are asking us, what should we do? No, they're not. Did anyone call the newsroom? No. Well, then how? why are you saying that? What does that mean? Do you even know you're saying that? Do you know how, you know how bald-faced a lie that is? Parents have been asking us, what should we... No, they're not. 
Would you even think to ask, hey, I think I'll call KSAT and see what I should do about my stove. Who would think to do that? No one. I don't know what to do, so I'm going to check with the local TV station. No. Now, if it was just this one thing, it might not be worth spending any time on it. But I think this is how we are, if you will, set up for panic and control. Because if you can scare people, and if you can make them feel like, and this was, this was, I think, the case in the early days of COVID. In the early days of COVID, people were constantly asking one another, do I need to be doing X or are we supposed to be doing Y? Because you felt like you didn't know enough. There was this fire hose of, of tips and recommendations and advice. And, and, and a lot of it was contradictory in the beginning. Remember, you don't need a mask. You need a mask. You need to wipe this. You don't need to wipe it. It's on surfaces. It's not on surfaces. And, and so people were sort of feeling like they were running behind or they were trying to play catch up. So first you get people kind of scared. You make them feel like they don't know what they should know. And that's where you get phrases like, it's been known for decades. And you sit there and you think, wow, I must be an idiot. I, I'd never heard that. Check with the other idiots. They never heard it either. And the only reason we didn't get to the next part is because the story was snuffed out so quickly. But then eventually what we were going to get, we were going to get to the term gas stove deniers. We were going to get to, when people started being skeptical, or somebody like me started making fun, then it was, well, you're a denier. You need to follow the science. You're dangerous. In fact, I'm not sure you should be on Twitter. Or I'm not sure that you should be on Facebook. I'm not sure that you should be on the radio. I'm calling your advertisers. Because you're spreading disinformation. No, you are. And the saddest part of it is, and I can say this because I work in broadcasting. People I work with, people in this industry, are not, they're not bad people. They're, they're just like anybody else. They're, they have families. They love their wives and husbands. And they're, they're nice people. If you got to know them personally, the people you see on television are nice people. But we've got to be better than this. We give for free our airwaves, our print space. Precious minutes of TV newscasts. Believe me, every one of those minutes is is stretched ten ways to Sunday. We are giving up our platforms to people with an agenda to control and scare the public. It's actually our job to get in the way of that, but instead what we do is we turn into conduits of it. So in the early days of COVID, it was like every television station, every network was like a government channel. And maybe you can excuse it that time because it, it seemed so unprecedented. But now that we've been through this whole thing and we've kind of unpacked it and we're able to look back at it and we have numerous people on the record saying they were wrong they overcounted, they miscounted, 14 days didn't mean anything, six feet of separation was made up, these masks that you're all still, some of you are still wearing, don't actually work. That stuff 
it means this should be the only time we fall for this. This should be the only time that so-called journalists give their airwaves, give their, their print space up as conduits. This means that next time you have to be skeptical. But see, I look at this story, and Channel 5 in Boston is a very distinguished television station, numerous awards. It's, 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 you know, it's not a fly-by-night or, or sensationalist kind of uh, operation. But that is shameful. Parents are calling us. No, they're not. Maybe they should be. A uh, classic TV sitcom is being rebooted. We're going to talk about that coming up. So the BBC, I guess about two weeks ago or so, maybe more, interviewed a cardiologist um, named Dr. Asim Alotra. And uh, he said something that they excerpted uh, as like a little uh, downloadable soundbite or highlight. Uh, on their website, it is the most watched, uh, most viewed news clip they have. Now think about all the things going on right now. This is the BBC. And I think it's because the word of mouth on this must be incredible, right? The sharing of it. And the, the sense that finally someone in this man's position is saying it. So they're interviewing him about um, cardiovascular deaths, sudden deaths, excess deaths. And a few minutes into the conversation, um, he's talking about the COVID vaccine. Take a listen to this, cut number one. But what is almost certainly, and if you allow me to say this, question, what I, my own research has found uh, and this is something that is probably a likely contributing factor, is that the COVID mRNA vaccines do carry a cardiovascular risk. And um, I've actually called for the suspension of this pending an inquiry because there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment about what's causing the excess deaths. Some of it will be ambulance delays. My own father was reported on BBC News in July, um, late 2021. Uh, I was the first to actually highlight the ambulance delays because my own father suffered a cardiac arrest at home and the ambulance took 30 minutes. And when his post-mortem came out, he had very severe cardiomyopathies, which is unexplainable. I then published in a peer-reviewed journal, they accepted my findings that the likely cause of his death was two doses of the Pfizer mRNA vaccine he had six months earlier. Now, there's more to it, but my point is, this is a man who is, 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 is speaking very carefully, speaking from personal experience, because his father got uh, two doses of the Pfizer and the booster, and died of a cardiac arrest, for which he was not a candidate previously. And um, he goes on to say, the vaccine certainly helped people who are high risk, but now we should be reassured that the Omicron circulating is really no worse than the flu. This is really time to pause the vaccine rollout. This approximately six-minute clip of him being interviewed on a BBC news show a couple of weeks ago has now been viewed, uh, I think, over 18 million times. How do you explain that? You know, there's, there's something powerful about stuff people seek out. 
It's one thing when you're just pumping it out on the airwaves, right? Playing the hits. But when people go to your website, specifically select this file, listen to this, share this, and have looked for it more than anything else you're offering right now, more than Harry, more than Celebrity Scandal, more that says something. It resonates with people. It, it, it's something that you've been thinking, or maybe you couldn't put it into words, or you've been suspecting it, or you thought to yourself, well, I don't really know. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a, a doctor. I don't have a degree. I, but here's someone that's a cardiologist. And then I want to play you this. This is Dr. Leanna Wynn, who during COVID was um, on television every night, uh, on CNN, writing a column for the Washington Post. Uh, she's a physician. She's held a number of uh, teaching positions at universities and hospitals all around the country. Uh, she was on the uh, Biden transition team advising on uh, COVID. So Dr. Leanna Wynn is now saying this. Take a listen. Well, this is the reason why this kind of transparent reporting is going to be so important. There is a way for us to look at death certificates and also to look at the medical records of individuals prior to their death. And I think this needs to be separated into three categories. One is the um, the COVID as a direct contributor, the primary cause of death. The second is, could it be a secondary contributing cause? So, for example, somebody with kidney disease, COVID then pushes them over the edge to have kidney failure. That's COVID as a contributing cause. And then the third is COVID as an incidental finding. So somebody coming in with a gunshot wound or a heart attack and they happen to test positive. I think that we need to separate out and look at the percentages of each. That percentage would have shifted over time as well. In the beginning, probably a lot more people were dying with the primary cause of COVID. That probably has shifted. Mm. Do tell. You know, she is saying what an author that we had on I'd say about a year and a half ago, maybe maybe a year ago. He wrote a book about the statistics and the and the and the counting of COVID deaths and COVID cases. And he was being canceled left and right. I had people come after me and try to get my advertisers to drop me because we interviewed him. And now we are really learning how badly the COVID pandemic was handled in terms of counting cases by the government, by the media, again. And here you have Leanna Wynn, who, to her credit, is saying something that sounds very sensible, but this is not what she and others were saying two years ago. So many people hospitalized for COVID came for Entirely different reasons. Many of the people counted as COVID deaths died with COVID, but not of COVID. She's admitting in a column she wrote, we are overcounting COVID deaths. She's admitting it was exaggerated. And that exaggeration is important. I'm not Monday morning quarterbacking here because remember the, 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 the sort of, um, urgency and panic Remember, Nirenberg and Wolf on television every night, every night. Like they were, like they were FDR after Pearl Harbor, right? 
Every night. This was not wrong because we didn't know anything and we've never had a pandemic before. This was wrong because we tested every single person who showed up at a hospital or a morgue for COVID, and if the test came back positive, we added them to the count. And the bigger the count, the more dramatic the news and the more justifiable the restrictions, closings, etc. could be. Remember that in 2020 and 2021, there was a thing called pandemic porn, where, especially on cable news, they were just stroking this for all it was worth. Awards were won, promotions were won, new contracts were signed, advertising revenue was augmented, ratings were boosted, It was all exaggerated. And they didn't just figure this out now. They knew it. The experts knew it, but no one wanted to talk about it. And I'm sorry to say this, and I'm not saying it's true of every doctor and every person who appeared on television, but I have to think some of them accepted the invitations but knew, in fact, they were playing a part. You know, one of the things we do, and I'm proud of it on this show, is when we reach out to, say, a legal expert, and you hear us do that, either I will or our producer will ask the legal expert, is this actually a, a thing? Like, is this significant? Is this? Do we need to, to talk about it? Because maybe it isn't, and we don't need to waste his time, your time, my time. But I think it was too good to check in 2020 and 2021. Now, the question is, for every Leanna Wen who comes along and says, we, this is what we did wrong, there's 99 other people that are whistling past the graveyard, right? They're not saying anything. Will they be held accountable? And um, will it be different next time? I mean, I think you and I are different. I think how we receive things and, and the, the willingness to accept, oh, well, this is an expert, or this is a person with a white lab coat, or this is, you know, we're different. The question is, are they any different? Or are they going to run this again? And was the gas stove story an attempt or a trial balloon of that of that type? I don't know. I, I mean, if, if I'm wrong about that, I'm wrong about that. But I'm not wrong that, that, it, that it will not be tried again. 210-599-5555 will get you in here. Join the show. Chris is on the radio. Hi, Chris. Hello. Good evening. And to the 99... 99- County's listening. Hello. <laughs> Good old KTSA. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. I like the way you have like your own back little show the open there. That's nice. Back okay. To the days of Very nice. And yes. y'all. Anyway, back when I was young. <laughs> anyway, my question is actually for the Democrats who listen, because I know a bunch listen, is why are they so uh, wanting uh, to keep taking the COVID shots? When evidence is pointing out more and more and more, there are issues, there are problems. And they keep denying the fact that there are something, you know, that only maybe those with comorbidity may need the shots. The rest of us, we're having people die all over, you know. So what is your question again? I'm sorry. Your question is why do Democrats Democrats keep getting... Keep wanting, yeah, do not 
are okay. not denying the fact are there are denying the fact that there might be an issue. Well, I don't know how you could really. I mean, how, who who can speak for all Democrats? I don't know. If there's any way to do that. Uh, know, let me throw a, a couple. Lot I've talked. Go ahead. Okay. L- let let me just take a a stab at it. A couple of possible ideas that may apply to one and not another. But is it possible that some people still think, despite the risks, there are benefits? Uh, or is it possible that some people think the risks are being exaggerated? Uh, by people on the right. You know, everything from masks to uh, jabs, it's all, everything now is seen as declaring your political leaning. I think people wearing masks is almost like, it's almost like wearing a campaign sticker on your lapel. So I think that that's a couple of possibilities. I, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying no one should get it. I'm, I'm sitting here saying we should always have been having an honest discussion. We should have been sharing with people what we feared, what we suspected, what studies were starting to show. I'm afraid that data took a backseat to, you know, sort of ideology or taking a position. Apparently, the hardest thing about COVID is backing down off your position on COVID. Apparently, the hardest thing about this is once you've declared something or um, issued guidance or an order or what have you, letting go, saying, we you know what, the, the numbers don't bear this out. We were wrong. So it may, I, I don't know how to generalize about all Democrats, Chris, and I'm not even sure to be fair that that, that is true. I, I know people who are getting the, the, the jabs and getting the boosters who are not Democrats, and they have their own reasons for it. I'm not, I'm not here to tell anybody, and you shouldn't be listening to somebody like me in terms of making up your decision about this. You know, that, that would be crazy. But you also should not let your political leaning or your ideology or how you feel about Trump uh, dictate what you do about your health. That's insane. And I, I, I just think... What should happen down the road here is accountability for people that pushed quote unquote facts that weren't facts, that were assertions and punished people who questioned those assertions. So if you questioned, if you had said what Leanna Wen said at one time, you were an enemy of the state and yet she's in with the beautiful people. She checks all the boxes. She's Everybody's a-okay with her. But a couple of years ago, you come out and say what she said. You're canceled. That seems to be the biggest struggle we have with COVID. Debbie is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Hi, Debbie. Hi. Um, My uncle was one of the ones that was overcounted as a COVID death. He actually died of bladder cancer, but they uh, put on his death certificate that he died of COVID. Hmm. What do you think of that? Yeah, it's deceptive. It's overinflating their numbers. Yeah. So why do you think they did it? Um, I think there was government money in it. There was money Mm -hmm. being given out to the hospitals Mm -hmm. and the uh, medical providers for treating COVID patients. Mm -hmm. And... um, I mean, we don't even know if he ever had COVID, but they they put that as a cause of his death. But we all knew he had 
bladder cancer. He had stage four bladder cancer, and that's what mm-hmm. he died of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think there was money and I think there was power in inflating the numbers and, and what people called pandemic porn. Uh, the idea that um, if you could if you could cite big sounding numbers or scary sounding numbers, or you could reinforce the idea that this thing is running away with us, you know, then people were less apt to question. Hey, do you have the constitutional right to do this, or is this efficacious, or you know, it has to be, and remember, it was the, it was, it was a war. We're on a wartime footing and we're always beware of politicians when they make something into a war. Because to you and I, that might mean an all in, you know, all hands on deck, very patriotic, help my fellow man. But to politicians, when they declare something or deem something a war, it just means the rules don't apply. There's no limitation on power. Uh, you know, we, 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 we suspend all the norms. They love that word, and there's a reason why. Were you a, a fan, Christian, of Night Court when that was on? Oh, you know what? I was pretty young, but uh, yeah. Uh, what's his name? Um, oh, tell me. Harry Anderson? No, the the defense. John Larroquette? Yes. Larroquette oh. would crack me up when I was like 10, 11 years old. Yeah. And I was yeah. usually up too late watching it. It was like, you know, late at night. But uh, I found a way, yes. So they're bringing it back. I know. I see. Yeah. Have you seen the the reboot yet, or no? I haven't seen. I've seen the promos for it. Um, yeah, and John Larroquette is is the lead. You know, sort of return character. Mm-hmm. Um, the premise is that uh, the Harry Stone character, uh, played by Harry Anderson, uh, his daughter now has uh, become a judge, and. Um, wants to reform the system and yeah. get closer to her father's legacy and so he's out uh you know uh, uh she's she's in his seat and then uh the the public defender quits and she says who can we get oh we'll get uh Dan Fielding the character played by John Larroquette so that's that's yep. going to be the premise and they brought it back after many years i mean this thing has been off the air for what like oh, 30 years, 30 years. Right? Yeah, yeah yeah and um uh, if anyone uh, has seen it, um, I'm curious to know uh, how it is. I, I wasn't a huge fan of it, but it was a funny show. It had a lot of funny moments. Those bailiffs, there was a male and a female bailiff. They were hilarious. And uh, the court reporter. and uh, 210-599-5555. So Night Court has been rebooted by NBC. And a lot of uh, people are saying this this should be happening more often. Like these, these uh, old sitcoms are the kind of material television, network television needs. You know, uh, we, we're maxed out on reality shows. We're maxed out on, um, you know, sort of, I guess you would call it like uh, the, the reality shows and, and competitions and game shows and the sort of shows where you're the peeping Tom, you know, like the uh, what, Big Brother, you know, stuff like that. So this kind of thing where you take a concept people loved and is time tested, and maybe you bring back uh, one of the original characters if there's somebody available. You can't get them all; they're not all still alive or still available. What's a sitcom, a classic sitcom, that you think should be rebooted? What is it? What's a show that went off the air? Sitcom that went off the air that you think they should reboot the way NBC is apparently doing with Night Court. Now we'll see how long uh, this lasts. Hard to say yet. 210-599-5555. 
Um, the reviewers are saying that uh, there's great chemistry uh, among the cast, uh, but only time is going to tell, obviously, if this is going to work. And if and, and, and does, it, does it work because it's a good show in its own right, or does it work because people who remember Night Court uh, come check it out? Night Court ran originally from 1984 to 1992. It was part of that must-see TV lineup that NBC had when they had all the... At one point... In the late 80s and early 90s, NBC had all the, the, the leading sitcoms. I mean, they were the number one network, but they had all the, the, you know, they, they were stocked up. You know, they had Seinfeld, they had Friends, they, had, you know, they just had everything. And, uh, Mad About You, you know, and, um, I think Cheers fell into that range or overlapped some of those years too. 210 599 And I believe, I could be wrong about this, but I think the Harry Anderson character, who was the judge um, on Night Court, I think he had been a recurring character on Cheers, and I think they spun him off. He would he would drop in at the bar and do like bar tricks or something, and they spun him off into his own uh, series. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. What's a classic sitcom? That should be brought back, in your opinion. Yeah, I, I will say that um, not being a, a, a rom-com guy, not being a medical drama guy, definitely not being a reality TV guy. Um, I, I just, I, I, most of what they're filling their schedules with. I mean, somebody watches it, but it's really not, not for me. But the the last time I was really a regular network television watcher was for sitcoms i I love sitcoms i i think we need to laugh i don't need to see an operation (laughs) i need to i need to laugh at the end of the day that's what i need i don't know about you 210-599-5555 and you know what's funny is even though they're not seen this way or or typically viewed this way by critics. You know, critics go out of their way if it's a mini series, if it's about a controversial subject. But sitcoms are really are the trailblazers because it's in comedy that you can poke fun at things or say things that you wouldn't be able to get away with, right? I mean, I think just about like Seinfeld. Think of all the taboo topics that they took on that you weren't supposed to be able to talk about on television back then, 30 years ago. And they got away with it. Not only got away with it, they thrived. I'll tell you a funny story. When when Seinfeld was at its peak, um, I watched it, and then I discovered, to my amazement, you know, I'm a young guy, I think I'm very hip, you know, I discovered to my amazement that my parents are watching it. And they're not scandalized by the masturbation episode. or I mean, they, they think it's hilarious. They love it. And, and that's the power of, of comedy. It can be multi-generational. They got it in their own way, just like I was getting it and my age group was getting it at the same time. 210-599-5555. What is a classic sitcom that's gone off the air? I don't mean reruns, you know. I mean as an original show. That you think they could reboot and bring back today. Gordon is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Hi, Gordon. Okay. 
If that line isn't working, we'll see what's going on with that. Uh, we'll figure out this phone thing. We'll get right back to your calls. 210-599-5555. Don, we may need to um, reboot that phone system. Are you hearing me okay? Yeah, you'll need to reboot that, if you could, please. NBC has revived Night Court after 30 years off the air, or at least as an original show. I'm sure it's been on in reruns. But uh, it's back with um, John Larroquette and a bunch of new supporting characters. Larroquette playing the same guy, Dan Fielding, that he played back in the day. Um, if you've seen it, I think it... I've, it either it either debuted last night or tonight, so maybe maybe nobody's seen it yet. But anyway, I'm I'm curious to know how that goes, um, and if it works, uh, maybe I'll check it out. Yeah, it's 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 premiering tonight. Okay, two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. That got me to thinking: what is a classic sitcom that also should be rebooted, in your opinion? Because we're tired of, it, it, you know, it seems like there's about four shows on right now. You know. There's like uh, reality, uh, risking your life, uh, you know, show, and then there's the uh, dis, you know, dysfunctional relationship show, and then there's the game show, and then there's the drama, and whether it's medical or police, or they all look the same. I think we need some sitcoms. 210-599-5555. Mark's on the radio. Hi, Mark. Hey there, Jack. Um, I was going to go with Cheers. Uh, you were talking about it a little bit, and, and you're right that Harry uh, Harry Anderson had a had a bit part on there a few times where he would come in and do some kind of little magic trick or something. He would scam people out of money. <laughs> so, um, But I, I used to like, uh, on Thursday nights when, it, when the Cosby show was on, they had at 8 o'clock was Cheers, and after that was Night Court, and I liked those those two shows the best because I, I think the thing that made it work, made both of those shows work, is there's a lot of characters and there's different a lot of things going on at the same time, and it's just it's just lots of I mean it's one laugh after another with different characters, and I think they were both uh, both shows were well, well written. So I mean I'd like to see I've been watching some of the old Cheers episodes late, lately. Um, I mean I've watched quite a few episodes. Just, just kind of to reminisce about that show, and yeah. and yeah. I, I think a lot of the people are still around. I, I doubt yeah. that. I would think a lot of them would not want to do a reboot, but who knows? Uh, I mean, if not, if you can get people with the same kind of chemistry and some good writing, uh, it could be a good. It could be a success. I think we can agree that if you're going to do a reboot of any of these shows, it should be, if at all possible, you need to have at least one character, you know, actor from the original just to have the connection you know just to have the bridge and as you say with cheers so many of them are available that you'd have a good shot of getting at least you know at least one maybe even more than uh one but yeah i mean and then you're right it's chemistry and good writing and um i don't know that that would bring me back i was thinking about what you're saying about how they some of the topics are would be taboo now and there's an episode in the first season called the boys in the bar where um Sam's best friend comes out as gay, and the other guys in the bar, like Norm and Cliff, they they start to worry that Cheers is going to turn into a gay bar. So you could never have that episode now. <laughs> I don't know why not. We need that more than ever. Mark, great one. That's a great choice. Thank you for the call. Uh, 210-599-5555 on KTSA. Corey is next. Hi, Corey. Hi. Yeah, we'll try it again. Um, 
yeah, I don't know how they could pull it off right now because it's even older than those movie those shows. But um, Barney Miller was always a favorite of mine. Oh yes, yeah. What a great cast of characters. Yeah, and and every episode it was something different. You know, and and I'll tell you what I think was really great about that, if I'm not mistaken, didn't every uh show and every scene was shot on the same set. It was just the just the desks, right? They never yeah, went anywhere. It was always, yeah, it was always inside the squad room. I mean, think of the genius of that. Think how funny you have to be because you you you're not there's nothing to distract people or change the visual. Think how great you have to be to do that, and they did it for years. Right, and the, the actors were really good about painting a picture. If they were doing something outside, like in the park, you know, trying to to get the muggers dressing up like women, or you know, a fire at some other hotel or something, they mm. they always painted a picture to where it still worked, even though they were in the squad yeah. room talking about it. Right, right. Did you have a favorite character? I mean, there were so many. There was Fish, and there was, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Hal Linden, Barney Miller himself. Did you have yeah, a favorite it's character? Gotta be, it's got to be how it's got to be Hal Linden, Barney Miller, yeah. his. His attitude about everything, his his dry wit, his his comic timing, um, you know, he, he, he was, was like really the da- he was like the dad, right? He was like the dad of a very very you know screwed up family. Uh, he had to be the <laughs> grown up in the room. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Yes, you know who else I loved on that really show? Well. You, yeah, you know who else was great on that show? And my dad loved this guy too. And I don't remember the actor's name, but there was a character that would come in once in a while. He was Inspector Luger. And he was played by a very well-known uh, television and movie actor, a guy that was in Manchurian Candidate and some other things. I'm blanking on his name, but we can look it up. But he would come in once in a while, and he had this this swaggering, all-knowing, hello, you know, and he was Inspector Luger. They all hated him. And um, my dad, who was not a chuckling kind of guy, got such a kick out of that character whenever he showed up at Barney Miller. 210-599-5555. Yeah, that would, that would definitely be one to reboot. All right, we're looking for a classic sitcom that's no longer on the air. It could be on in reruns, but no longer is a, is a new show that could be brought back again, in your opinion, as a new show. Uh, people are saying on my email, uh, Gilligan's Island, married with children. See, Gilligan's Island... You could do it, but you'd have to kind of explain, like, do none of them have cell phones or GPS? You know, like you'd have to you have to figure out the the technology differential. But yeah, you could do that. Uh, Married with Children has been mentioned. The Office has been mentioned. Um, Office hasn't really been gone that long yet, but yeah, I'm sure somebody's going to try that again one of these days. Uh, what's another classic sitcom to bring back? And Ken is on KTSa. Hi, Ken. Hello, always enjoy your show. Oh, uh, thank you. Uh, w- wings. Um, it oh, yeah. When I was in aviation, I I started out in aviation over 40 years ago. I'm still in it. and It, it reminded me a lot of the first job I had. It, and we had all the characters at work. Now, remind me, was it like, uh, it was a couple of guys running like a charter service or something? I believe it was a small airline uh, with small twin Cessnas. Um, yeah, and it probably had about six or seven employees. I remember people said it was like taxi with wings. Yeah, would probably be about right. Yep. Yeah. Now that was a good show, and um, 
I think that might have been on NBC as well. But yeah, that was a that was a good show. You could definitely bring something like that back down. And you're saying you were in that business and it was it was accurate. Yeah, I, uh, my first job I got in the early '80s uh, was at a flight school. We had a small yeah. charter company, not not an airline, but but we we would laugh about that show all the time because uh, I wanted to be like the cool guy in the leather jacket, but yet I was the, <laughs> the, the nerdy uh, older brother that ran the place. <laughs> yeah, we all want to be the cool guy in the leather jacket, Ken. It never happens, but I'm I'm with you on that. Uh, good one. Wings. Bring back wings. 210-599-5555. Gordon is on KTSA. Hi, Gordon. Hello. I hey, was Gordon. thinking of, and especially in today's climate, would be all in the family, Archie Bunker. Mm. Oh, boy. The things you could do with that now. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. But you know what? Who do you Who do you find? Who's out there that would be like Carol O'Connor? Because that's the key to the whole thing. That's the tough part. You know, you've got to have somebody that can pull that off, and then the other stuff will fill in. Uh, not to say that the other actors weren't great. I mean, you know, uh, Maureen Stapleton, they were all fantastic, but, but you, you gotta, you gotta have that, that central character. But think of what he could do with like wokeism and political correctness. I mean, he was ahead of his time. We need him now more than we needed him then, right? Yeah. How about, uh, Donald Trump as, as Archie? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Oh, boy. Okay, yeah. Uh, Well, I think he might have other plans uh, for the next couple of years, Gordon. But, yeah, no, that's that's fascinating right there. Donald Trump as Archie Bunker. He's You almost don't even need, you don't even need screenwriters, right? You just uh, point point the camera and he goes. actor i was trying to think of was james gregory who was inspector luger on barney miller and um you'll see him in he's in a couple of the elvis movies he was in the pilot for hawaii 50 he was but what i remember him best in he's the mccarthy like senator in the original manchurian candidate so he has all this serious like you know acting uh chops but on barney miller he was just this this you know guy that everybody thought was ridiculous and and hilarious and um yeah that the more i think about barney miller really is a show you would reboot it's multiracial it's um takes on taboo subjects um be easy i mean you could i mean it's got to be i I don't know a lot about television production but it's got to be pretty easy when you only have one set right Seems like that would be a no-brainer. 210-599-5555. Um, we started this conversation about rebooting classic sitcoms because NBC tonight is debuting um, the reboot of Night Court. And they brought back John Larroquette uh, to reprise the lawyer that he played back in the uh, original. John Larroquette is the narrator in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which most people know. But there's always been a urban myth about that, 
uh, as to how that came about and, and whether or not he was paid. Because Texas Chainsaw Massacre was famously kind of a, you know, by a shoestring operation. He recently said in an interview to promote the new Night Court, he confirmed something that's been a rumor for years, which is that he accepted payment in pot when they made Texas Chainsaw Massacre 50 years ago. He he knew they didn't have any money. He didn't have any money. Um, and they basically gave him a, a Ziploc bag. And he didn't think anything would come of that movie. He didn't think anybody would ever see it. So 210-599-5555, a classic TV sitcom you think they should reboot, and Brian is on the radio. Hi, Brian. Hi, Jack. How are you doing this evening? Good, sir. How are you? Well, I woke up, so I'm good. That is good. Uh, Yes, sir, it is. Nobody's ever guaranteed a day. Uh, Mm. Jack, I can remember MASH. Hmm. You know, Great cast. Uh, thank God we're not in a, a war right now, but just the, you know, the time where there were serious times and then there were uh, very funny times. Yeah. You know? yeah. But I, I really love that show. That was a fantastic show. And it was, it, it almost, it didn't even really matter. Wh- like a lot of people pointed out that it was set in the Korean War but it right. was made during the Vietnam era, and it seemed at times to be more about that. But I think you're right. I think the things that the characters go through and the things they say, it's timeless. I mean, you could you could set it in any era. It really is. And and the last show was, uh, you know, kind of heartbreaking. But yeah. Uh, yeah. it was one of the most widely viewed, you know, finales in history. Yeah, yeah. That would be a great one to bring back and, and get a really good yeah. cast of characters. Good one. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. Uh, 210-599-5555, a classic TV sitcom that should be rebooted. John is on the radio. Hi, John. Hello, Jack. I, I have to agree with everyone that's been called up here. It's just a golden age of sitcoms going on. I'm kind of curious. Uh, Taxi was just a, it had a bunch of spinoffs. It was mm-hmm. so good. Of mm. course, Reverend Jim, he was spun off all the time, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Tony Danza got a mm-hmm. spin off, and, and yeah. Mary Lou Henner. Mary Lou Henner, yeah, yeah. But that uh, Danny Danny DeVito, class. right, too? Danny DeVito? And, oh, and Danny DeVito. Well, yeah. he was on Cheers, wasn't he? he? He did all kinds of things. He's been in movies and television, and he's yeah. doing the commercials for Jersey Mike's and um yeah i think taxi would be a good one i think you're right about that and and uh that was also a show that that seemed to take place almost exclusively in one like setting right right they had a formula yeah they but i mean they were pretty much always just there in the in the garage right yeah i think maybe there was a few scenes out but not right Not many. Yeah, I mean, I, I really think keep it simple, stupid, as the saying goes, that really works with sitcoms. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to get too fancy and you just need characters that have good chemistry. You need brilliant writers and just, just be real. Well, it was a lot of good entertainment and, and, uh, a lot of memories. Thanks, Jack. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that one, John. That is a good one. Um, I always remember the, the joke with it, you know, sort of the, 
I guess you'd say that the inside joke of Seinfeld, remember they had a, a, a series of episodes in which um, Jerry and his buddies were trying to start a show. The show was the show they were on, but um, the, the catchphrase was, it'll be a show about nothing. And Seinfeld really was a show about the most mundane um, things, but that was the brilliance of it. It wasn't reaching for something obscure or trying to hit you over the head. It was stuff you could relate to. They would, of course, exaggerate it, play it out, play it out. But it was all stuff you could, it was all situations you could imagine yourself being in. The only thing I would ever take issue with with Seinfeld was no struggling comedian in New York is going to have an apartment that big. Just going to point that out. Uh, 210 599 A lot of uh, suggestions via email. Sanford and Son. A lot of people saying, yeah, we're burnt out on uh, reality shows. Enough with the reality shows. Let's have some more sitcoms. Uh, Craig is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Hi, Craig. Hey, how's it going? Hey, hey. Uh, Mashman had the number one last episode, but yeah. Three's Company is the second highest. And they should, they should bring back Three's Company for Mr. Roper alone. In this there you climate, go. he would totally kill it. There you go. Yeah, you know what? That, that was a, that was a hugely popular show. And it would be today, I think they, you know what the problem they'd have with it today is today they would say, today they would say you can't, you can't portray women like that. Oh, I thought they would go, they would, uh, uh, what's with the Ritter's character? I think they would ridicule the hell out of him. You know. Yes, they probably would. They probably would. Now that was a funny. That was a funny show. Uh, very good one. Thank you, Craig. Uh, let's see. Uh, Henry is on KTSA. Hi, Henry. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. I, I would like to see Gomer Pyle come back, and I think uh, John Cena would be a perfect fit for Sergeant Carter. Oh, I like that. I like that. So who would play Gomer? I, I don't know about that one. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Because Jim Neighbors was, he really was, if you think about it, the guy was a comic genius. I mean, he took that one little, I guess you'd say, quirk, and he played it out over not only Gomer Pyle, but the Andy Griffith Show, and he did all those appearances with Carol Burnett. And the truth is that what really wasn't who he was, but he... He played that up, and he, you know, milked it for all it was worth. America loved that character. Uh, that's a good one, Henry. Uh, let me get one more in here before we run out of time completely. And Elvis is on KTSA. Hi, Elvis. Hey, having a great drive home. Uh, I miss Soap. Uh, I thought that was a really good stretch of characters with Billy Crystal, uh, the guy mm. that played Bert. Uh, Benson uh, was in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. the way he always messed with the uh, older man from World War II veteran, it was a good show that I thought could have gone even further. Yeah, that was that show was really ahead of its time, right? I mean, it was it was kind of edgy and it it took things on that that we would more commonly uh, see today, but were not heard of back then. That was was that in the uh, early eighties? Was soap? I think it was uh, late seventies, uh, 78 okay. time frame. All right. Yeah. Right Way ahead as, of its uh, Mash was coming to an end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Way way ahead and of its it time. Rolled into, uh, it rolled into Benson. Benson had his own series. 
Oh, okay, that's how that happened. All right, soap, very good. Appreciate it, Elvis. Thanks Thanks to everybody that called, everybody who wrote. On the uh, JR poll, question was, uh, the Cowboys kicker, Brett Maher, missed four extra points last night. It's the first time in 90 years that's happened in an NFL game. Should the Cowboys keep him or cut him? It was close, kind of like his misses. 55% said keep him. 45% said cut him. Well, the new poll question, JR poll question at 4 tomorrow, you can always find it at ktsa.com. You can always find this show, whole episode podcast. So in other words, each podcast is a complete day's show by going to ktsa.com and then at the top of the screen where you see on demand, pull that down and then you can take us where you want, when you want. If this doesn't work for you as an afternoon show, you need something to listen to when you're walking in the morning or when you're working in the middle of the day or you want to catch up on everything on the weekends, on demand at ktsa.com. Since we were talking about um, sitcoms and reboots and names, you know, from yesteryear, I saw uh, an excerpt of an interview that Richard Dreyfus did. Uh, he did this with Glenn Beck. But Richard Dreyfus is somebody that you haven't really heard about or seen in a while. And he explained in the interview why. And it was fascinating to me because I didn't know this. I didn't know what he, I didn't know, I, you know, I thought he just retired or was just enjoying uh, life. He says he has given up the thing he loved acting for something else that he loves. Take a listen to this. I gave up something I loved and had loved since I was nine years old only for something else I loved as much, which was saving my country. And I firmly believe that if we don't revive the study of civics, we will be dead before 2050. We'll have the same name. Long before. And it'll be um, a nightmare. So, I had led a blessed life. And I gave it up for a blessed life. And I think, uh, I think that this book is not perfect. But boy, is it Richard. And it, it, it infuriates me that people don't understand what this place means. What an advance on human progress this country is all about and how quickly we can abandon it without without a second thought mm. he's talking about civics he's saying that if we don't understand the rules of the game then the way we play the game will be reckless and destructive. And I think you could argue that's happening right now. You know, if you think about, like, in football, there are rules about ways you cannot hit another player or places you cannot hit another. Because if we didn't have those rules, people would be getting killed or or, or maimed left and right. The title 
of Dreyfus's book is very is itself really I mean if you saw this on a shelf this would make you pull it down and take a look the title of the book one thought scares me we teach our children what we wish them to know we don't teach our children what we don't wish them to know I'm I don't know how you could argue with that we teach our children what we wish them to know we don't teach our children what we don't wish them to know is it possible to disagree civically civilly will it be again in our country he takes it so seriously he's made it his life's work good for him and back here at four tomorrow i'll see you then